We're going to jump right in. John 11, verse 38 through 44, a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled against its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days, and they smell will be terrible. Or if you read the King James, he will stinketh. Verse 40, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You will always hear me, but I said it out in a loud voice for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe that you have sent me. Verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Notice verse 44, and the dead man came out. Everybody say dead man. The dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Let's continue to pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place, Lord. Lord, I pray that you move me out of the way, God, anoint me, God. Let me be a mouthpiece unto you, Father. God, I pray that you open every single heart, God, every single mind, God. God, let us be open, God, to what you want to do in this place, Father. Lord, I pray that we leave here different, God, that we don't leave here the same, Father, because we've been changed, because we've been in your presence, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to lay a little foundation here. You know, most people already know of this story in the Bible. Um, and me and Karen were talking this week, you know, sometimes we take for granted since we live in the Bible Belt that people automatically know everything about the stories in the Bible. But some people, and it's okay if you don't, don't know the full extent of the story. All they know is that Jesus was raised, raised a man from the dead and after, after he'd been dead for four days. So we're going to go all the way back, and we're going to kind of work through John 11 here. In John 11, it tells us straight from the beginning that Lazarus was sick. And how many knows if you're sick, sickness can lead to death, right? And then it proceeds to tell us that the same woman, note this, the same woman that used the expensive perfume to wash Jesus' feet as a form of worship was actually Lazarus' sister. And they sent word that Lazarus, which was also Jesus' friends, you got to remember, Jesus had a personal connection to Lazarus. They sent word that he was very sick. But when Jesus got word, this is what he said. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened from the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And you know, if you know the story, you know that Lazarus is dead for four days. After the scripture tells us that even when he got this information, Jesus stayed out of town still for two more days. So, you know, we would have thought that you go tell Jesus, all right, your best friend is sick and he's going to die. And, you know, you think, all right, Jesus goes immediately to him, but it says that he stays out of town for two more days. How many of you ever felt like, you know what, you tell God, I need this now, and it feels like he's out of town. He's at the beach somewhere. His best friend was very sick, yet he didn't get up and go right to him. Actually, then Jesus says, all right, let's go back to Judea. And one of his disciples, I don't know which one, but one of them says, are you crazy? They just tried stoning you and killing you. Or do you really want to go back there? But Jesus replies to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, 
So now I must go wake him up. They look at him and they say, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get up on his own. He'll get better soon. They don't, he don't need you. We ain't trying to go be bodyguards and, you know, guarding you because they're throwing stones at you. But what they didn't realize is that Lazarus wasn't sleeping. He was dead. How many knows there's a difference in being dead and being asleep? You hope there's a difference between being dead and being asleep. So, But we are living in a culture and a church world today that, that thinks that the church is really just sleeping. That your loved ones are just sleeping. Your sons and daughters are just sleeping, but they're not. They're dead. That sounds harsh, but they are. They're dead. The Lord feels it necessary to explain to his disciples, no, no, no. Lazarus isn't just sleeping. Lazarus is dead. So once Jesus goes into Bethany, Martha got a word that Jesus was there, and she went to him. But notice this. It says, Mary stayed in the house. Now, this is not really for you guys because you all actually came to church. This is more for the online watching. Bless them, Lord. But they're in their PJs, and it's okay. We're just jealous. But the same woman who had spent her entire earnings on this perfume to come and wash Jesus' feet to worship him right before, that same woman who didn't care what people thought about her worship, the same woman who didn't care to open up her alabaster box is the same woman that when things didn't go her way, she stayed home and pouted. Anybody in here ever stayed home and pouted because the church service didn't go your way? Or ever stayed home because, you know what, your situation wasn't moving like you thought it should? Or you thought your situation was over, it was dead? Sometimes we sit in the house, maybe not go to church and run out of that, but we sit in the house and we throw ourselves our, a pity party. We lay in bed. We thought, oh, gloom, despair, and agony on me all, all day long. But so many times we go through the motions and we get on this spiritual high and our students just come back from Winterfest. And I'm so grateful for what the Lord has done in them. I see a fire, but I pray, God, don't let the fire go out. Because hard times will come. Bad times will come. And sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes life doesn't go our way. But when we feel broken, when we feel like the situation is hopeless, when we look at it and we say, all right, it's dead, D-E-A-D, dead, done, we think, all right, God, why? And how many knows it's okay to question God why? Sometimes we become angry with God. Let's just be real. Sometimes we become bitter at God and at people. Sometimes we become hurt right here. Sometimes we call it church hurt. You know, people use that phrase and you think, good Lord, what can you get so hurt about at church? It's a real thing. People won't walk into the doors of a church for years because they've been church hurt by man. So we sit at home and we pout and we throw ourselves this big pity party. There's probably popcorn there and pizza and everything else. And we are missing out on this miracle that could happen if we would just get up and go. You see, Lazarus has been dead for four days in the grave. I don't know about you, but when you're expecting something in your life, expecting you're excited for something. When you get ready to go on vacation, you know, four days feels like an eternity. That's the longest work week of your entire life ever. But Scripture tells us that people were 
consoling Mary and Martha. You know, they're going through the line. They're saying, you know what, it's okay. We're sorry for your loss. And, you know, as we know, some people say really dumb stuff when they come up. And when they're visiting a body or whatever, they come up, they say some of the dumbest stuff. And this is what Jesus, this is what Martha tells Jesus. Lord, if you would have been there, he wouldn't have died. It's kind of a bold statement to tell Jesus, if you ask me. But then Jesus responds back and says, your brother will rise again. See, if that was me, I would look back and look at the tomb and be like, okay, do you see it? He's not getting up. Martha says, I feel like she was kind of being a smart aleck a little bit. And how many smart aleck people do we have in here? If you're a middle school student, you're supposed to raise your hand right there. But Martha says, yes, he will. He'll get back up in the last days just like when everybody else does. And Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die again. And it tells us that Martha, I can just imagine her being so tore up. And she runs back to the house and she tells Mary, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. So get this, she went. The same woman who was pouting at home went. Actually, it says that she immediately went to him. You know, if that would have been some of us after that hurt, we wouldn't have come out of the house. We would have said, he's going to have to come to me. And I love the song that says, what would you do if he walked into the room? And I'm just going to be honest. I stand up here on this stage every week, and I, and I give glory and honor to the Lord for it. But I sit back here and watch some of you all, and I'm convinced that if Jesus was standing right here right now, some of you all would sit there deader than you are. But think about it. What would you do if he walked right into this room? What would you do? Would you sit? Would you stand? Would you kneel? Would you weep? What would you do if he was to walk in this room right now in the physical? Because every single week he joins us spiritually. But for some of you all, that's not enough. You need to see it to believe it. When Mary saw Jesus, her first statement was, God, if you would have been there, he wouldn't have died. I can just see her now. She's probably, you know, just she thought, I'm going to give it to him right now. When Jesus saw them crying, it says he got angry. He was mad because of their unbelief. Because don't forget, he had already told them that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. But you see, what our eyes and what their eyes had seen was a man that was dead for four days in a tomb, wrapped up, and the tomb was sealed. Would you call that dead? It says, once Jesus went to the grave, it says that he wept. The shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I pondered, why? Why, why is that important? Why, God, why would you put that in Scripture? And it reminds us that not only was Jesus the Son of God, full of the Spirit, but he was also man. He also felt emotions. When they beat him and hung him on a cross, he felt every bit of it and more. 
Of course, the unbelievers and the naysayers, you know, there's always your naysayers, the, the people, I like to call them your negative Nellies. There's always those people. And they're the ones that are saying, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have stopped him from dying. You know, that's the same dude that healed the blind man over there. Why couldn't he stop him? Sometimes we question God. God, you did it for them. Why couldn't you do it for me? God, you did it for her. Why couldn't you do it for my family? But it's time for the church to rise up when the naysayers say that. And when negativity rises up, it's time for us to rise up and say, you know what? God knows best. And it says that the stone was rolled over the tomb. And I just love getting visual images. I just imagine this big tomb and and a perfect, I'm sure it wasn't perfectly circular, but it would make my mind feel better if it was, this perfectly circular uh, stone rolled over. And it says that it was sealed. Now, when you think about that, we seal things for a reason. You have Ziploc bags because you seal them to keep the freshness in. You seal them to keep things from getting into them. And it says that because they they sealed it because they thought it was finished. They thought it was over. In the natural, he was dead. There was no sign of life. Jesus wasn't even on the scene at that point. And they sealed it. And I wondered, God, why did they seal the tomb? If they knew, they should have known, they should have believed that you was going to come and you was going to raise him from the dead because you told them that his sickness would not end in death. But the reason why they sealed it is because they thought it was over. They thought it was finished. And you see, the seal that they put on there was probably made of clay. And it's the seal that prevented moisture and oxygen from getting into the tomb. And when you are in the tomb spiritually and you seal it, you become spiritually dehydrated from a lack of moisture. You become spiritually lacking oxygen, which is the breath of God because it's sealed. You see, man had said that it was over, but Jesus says, roll the stone aside. You see, the promise that you've been waiting on, that maybe you've even forgotten, is going to come to fruition. Your prodigal is going to come home. You've rolled the stone over. You've sealed the tomb because you thought, you know what, I give up. You've learned to just live with it. You thought this is just life. This is normal. This is how it's going to be. But I hear the Lord speaking, roll the stone away because I'm about to call them out. You see, Martha says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And how many knows that dead things stink? The smell or the odor would have been awful. If you ever run over a possum or a skunk or something and you leave it on the road or you run over any kind of animal and you go back and it's not very long before it begins to decay. And the smell begins to stink, become awful. You know, some of us don't want to roll the stone away because we don't want to deal with the smell of it. I love the King James Version. It says, the stinketh. You don't want to deal with doubt anymore. You don't want to deal with, you don't want to deal with the situation. You've learned to just live with it. 
You've decided to accept the doctor's results. You've excited to accept what the judge says. You've excited to accept what the therapist says. You've excited to accept what man says, but the Lord's saying, roll the stone away regardless of the scars, regardless of the pain, regardless of the smell, because he's about to raise some dead things back to life. You see, he's about to reveal himself to someone in this place. He's about to remind some people of promises that he made to them. You see, when they rolled the stone away, Jesus could have just stopped there and been like, okay, Lazarus, come on out. Let's show them how it's done. Come on. Another miracle. But he doesn't. First, he gives thanks and adoration to his Father above. He says, the one who always hears, he let it be known with his voice. You know, he could have prayed his prayer, Lord, let him out. Come on. Let's go. Lazarus, come on. Or he could have prayed it in his head, one of those little bitty prayers, you know, and we're all guilty of it. As we go to bed at night, Lord, I lay me down to sleep, and before you get sleep out, you're snoring. He could have just prayed one of those prayers, you know what, all right, it's time to come on out. But he prayed the prayer out loud. And there's significance to that. It's because sometimes we have to put the enemy in his place. You can't do that by praying in your head. The enemy cannot hear your thoughts. No matter how much we want to think he can, the enemy cannot get in your mind and know what you're thinking. That's why there's power and authority when you speak his name and when you say things as though they are. You know, sometimes we forget that we do have authority. We forget how powerless the enemy really is. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. But watch this. It says that the dead man, everybody say dead man. The dead man came out wrapped in grave clothes. And I've laid this entire foundation to come to this point. There is more to the account of Lazarus than what meets the eye. You see, the tomb represents something more than just a burial place. The tomb can represent spiritual darkness in the lives of believers. Darkness is usually associated to death and evil because it supports the thought that things should not be usually done in darkness, whereas light is associated with goodness, just like they sang. Our bodies need sunlight. I love that the sun is coming out, but I hate that it's 20 degrees outside. But sunlight is essential to life. We gain important nutrition from the sunlight. It helps us clearly see when we go places. When a person is walking in spiritual darkness, They've strayed from the light of Christ, which exposes all that sin and the work of the enemy and leads us to salvation. That is why John describes Jesus as the life that is the light of men. If we are not putting our faith and trusting God through Jesus Christ, then we're blinded by darkness. And when you're blinded, you will stumble and fall every single time.
every time an obstacle comes your way, just get ready. But the good news is we don't have to worry if we've accepted Jesus as our personal Savior. Because you see, Jesus is the light of the world. And Scripture tells us whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, if we're walking around in darkness, that makes us no different than Lazarus. Dead Lazarus. Wrapped up in all of our grave clothes. Jesus, the light of the world, the salvation for all mankind, stands outside of the tombs of many of us that are locked up and sealed. And he's saying, come forth. But we lay there. We hear the conviction. We hear him calling us. But we lay there because we let pride get in the way. We lay there because we're afraid what people will think. We lay there because it's comfortable. But Lazarus, who is still referred to as a dead man, came out when Jesus said three simple words. He'd been dead. He was wrapped up in burial clothes. He'd been prepared for the decaying process that naturally happens when something dies. You see, the stone was rolled in front of it. It was sealed. They thought it was finished. He was so dead that he smelled. Hope was lost. But what happens? Jesus walks on the scene, and a miracle happens. Jesus comes, Lazarus comes out of the tomb under his own power, but there's something wrong. You see, Lazarus still had grave clothes on. Clothes that, linens that are wrapped around a body after, after they have died, they wrap them around their body to show that, you know what, they're dead. He had a reminder of his past hanging all over him. So Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus said to unbind him. You see, Lazarus was raised to life, but he wasn't free. It refers to him as a dead man. There was no way that Lazarus could go about his life and live a healthy and productive life in the clothes that he was buried in. What am I saying? I'm saying there are people sitting in churches week in and week out, including this one, who, think, who know that they have been made alive by the grace of God, but they continue to wear their grave clothes. They are still bound, and they think it's normal. So what do you, what do you mean by grave clothes? I'm glad you asked. We can be bound by all sorts of things. We can be bound by past hurts, bad habits, hang-ups, fear, unbelief, things that keep us from going in the direction that God desires for us to move. More examples is not reading or studying God's Word, not taking the time to worship, not tithing to God with your first fruits. No pastor didn't pay me to say that. 
not being a good witness for him in our actions or words. Ouch. Remember that when you go out to eat later on today. Remember to be nice to your waiter or waitress. They're watching. Or bearing yourself up time and time again, reminding yourself of your past. What we have to remember is that Jesus gives us new life. And he comes to remove your grave clothes. You see, he came to forgive our sins. He came to heal us from our past hurts, to help us deal with our bad habits and hang-ups. He came to take away our fear, our anxious thoughts, our, our disbelief. And he came to give us direction. And he's given you a purpose. He came and put a spirit of gladness in us. And he came to set us free from the grave clothes that hinder us from moving forward and walking with him. You know, we get so bound up in our grave clothes that we forget that anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. Scripture tells us the old is passed away. And all things become new. Church, it's time to remove the grave clothes. It's time that we become unbound by them. It's time that we begin to walk in the freedom that God calls us to and offers. As a child of God, you don't have to stay in those grave clothes. So many times we live beneath our privileges as a child of God. We think it's normal to be wrapped up in grave clothes. We walk around like mummies. And the problem is, you can't tell us and the world apart. Think about that. The problem is we all walk around like mummies. Wrapped up in our bondages, wrapped up in our grave clothes. And you can't tell us and the world apart. So why would the world want what we think we have? Some of us may have been bound for a long, long time. But you don't struggle alone. We all struggle at some point. But what is so awesome about being a child of God is you are set in a body of believers who also struggle, but they're also here for you. They also fight with you and for you. They're praying and believing with you and for you. God did not call us to do this on our own. That's why connection groups are so important. You're not called to live life alone. You're called to live life in a community of believers who believe like you, who can encourage you, who can push you in the right direction, hold accountability. You know, we've gotten so far away from holding people accountable because we're afraid they'll befriend us. We don't hold people accountable anymore because we don't want them to be mad at us. And if you hold them accountable, you're judging them. What? So many times we forget the authority that we've been given Let's look and see what Scripture says. Luke 10, 19. It says, look, I have given you authority over the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing 
will injure you. Luke 9 and 1 says, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. So we have been given authority over the enemy because the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that can live inside of you. And if you're a believer, it does live inside of you. That same spirit gives us authority over the enemy. And I pray before we close today that you practice that authority. Don't, be, don't live beneath your privileges as a believer. You've been given authority and you can say, loose the grave clothes and let me go. If they'll go ahead and start getting ready for the illustration. Let's jump ahead to what we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks, the resurrection of Jesus. And let's see what Scripture says in John 25 through 7. It says, he stood and looked in and saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. I sat there and I wondered, why would Jesus have folded the linen that was wrapped around his head? And I began to study and look, and it goes back to Jewish custom back in that time. You see, a servant, after he had prepared the, the table for his master, they would prepare this big feast for his master. And he would prepare it, and he would go stand in the corner, go stand in the side, away and out of mind, out of sight. And he would pay close attention to the progression of the meal. He wouldn't dare return to that table until the master had finished his meal, though. When the master finishes, he would rise up, clean his fingers off, clean his mouth off, probably clean his beard out a little bit because he had a little something in it. He would leave the cloth crumbled up in a ball on the table. That wrinkled, discarded cloth indicated I'm finished. But if, however, for whatever reason, if a master would leave the table with intentions of returning, he would crease the napkin into folds and leave it beside his dish. This was a message for the servant that he was not to disturb the table because he was coming back. This gave the master the indication I'm returning, I am not finished. You see, this world is not our home. Jesus is coming back. And I also think him folding the cloth is a sign to us that he's not finished with you. You may think that God is done with you. This may be your first time in a church in a long time. And you think you're just here by coincidence. But this is a divine appointment for you. You see, you're not too dirty to be used. Your past is not too stinky for you to be used. You aren't so messed up that the Lord himself cannot change you and use you. But I think the Lord put me here on this morning 
March 19th to tell you that the Lord is not finished with you. You may feel like a discarded, crumbled up napkin sitting on the floor. But God says, no, get ready. Get ready. I'm about to open doors you couldn't open. You've got to be willing and willing and open for him to use you. If they'll go ahead and come to the music. So I love a good illustration because I'm a visual learner myself. And the Lord began to just kind of drop this into my spirit. We're going to call this Lazarus. Let's go back to our main text, John eleven forty four. It says, and the dead man came out. It says that his hands, his feet, and his head, all wrapped in grave clothes. So I began to think, Lord, you don't just put stuff in your word just to put it there. So what was so significant about those three parts that you had to mention it? First of all, his face was wrapped up, meaning his mind was bound in grave clothes. So many saved people and unsaved people are wrapped up in grave clothes. And you're wrapped up in your head, you feel all messed up. Depression has you bound. Anxiety has you crippled. Fear has you wrapped up. Bitterness has held your mind captive. Comparison has held you bound. And secondly, says that his hands were wrapped up in grave clothes. When your hands are wrapped up and bound, that means you can't praise. You can't worship. The enemy has held you captive long enough telling you you shouldn't act like them. That you aren't good enough to raise your hands. That lifting your voice won't do anything. This is all a bunch of nonsense, is what the enemy tries to tell you. Let me tell you something. My worship may not look like yours. Your worship may not look like mine. Your worship may not look like the person to the left of you or to the right of you. But you don't know what it cost that person to get here. Let's just be frank. You don't know the hell they had to go through to get here this week. You don't know the generational curse that was spoken over their life that's been broken. You don't know their story. So why is it your place to judge? Thirdly, it says that his feet were bound in grave clothes. So he couldn't walk. He couldn't 
go. Some of you feel like your feet are bound up in shackles and grave clothes. And because of that, you can't walk in obedience. You feel like you can't go. You feel like you're stuck right where you are and nothing can move you. You hear the Lord calling you in a direction to go, but you can't move. But I tell you, just like they said, if you'll go ahead and stand and we'll turn out the lights. Just like in Scripture, I hear the Lord saying, loose them and let them go. Your mind is about to be loose from the grave clothes. The grave clothes are coming off your hands so that you can praise Him like you couldn't before. Grave clothes are coming off your feet so you can walk in the freedom that you've been given, so you can walk in the direction that God is calling you to. You see, here's the thing. Grave clothes are a sign of bondage. Grave clothes are a sign of being held so tight that you can't breathe. And as I was praying over this week, I felt in my spirit that there's some people here that feel like they are so bound up by your grave clothes. So many people bound up feel like you can't move, you can't breathe by your grave clothes. But God says, I'm here to do the same thing I did for Lazarus in your life. The same God that unbinded Lazarus is the same God that can unbind you. And here's the crazy thing. You have that authority. You have that power. You see, the enemy wants you to be so bound up to where you can't even breathe. You feel like every breath is a struggle. But God says, no, I didn't call you out of the grave to act like a dead man. I didn't call you out of the grave to act like a dead woman. I called you out of the grave to be a new creature, to be alive, to be well. And I called you out of the grave not to walk around in bondage so that when you walk around professing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that the world can't see any difference in you and them. What we have considered normal is not normal. You know, it blows my mind that three years ago, almost a little bit over three years ago now, the world shut down. We wasn't prepared. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what this virus was, and yes, the virus is real. And it affected multiple people. But I think the ultimate plan of the enemy was to create separation. To grip the hearts of God's people and create fear. Anxiety and depression 
is an all-time high. I read a statistic the other day that, and it blows my mind, over 80%, think about that, 80% of people deal with currently depression. We normalized it. Depression and anxiety does not make you so broken that you can't be used. There's freedom from that. There's freedom from suicidal thoughts. There's freedom from addiction. There's different addictions. There's addiction to pornography, addiction to alcohol. God did not call you to live so bound that you can't move. I want to ask every single person in this room, close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're in this place, you may think it's by accident. But if you're in this place and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you feel so wrapped up you can't breathe. You feel like you're living in a tomb that's been sealed. No oxygen has gotten to you. You feel like you're running on E. I want to encourage you. There's a man that you can form a relationship with. His name is Jesus Christ. God sent his very own son so that we could walk in freedom. God sent his son for me and you, and as he hung upon that cross, he felt the weight of this world on his shoulders. And he could have called thousands of angels to come get him, to take him off that cross. He felt every bit of pain. But he did it for you and I. So that way we can have a relationship with him. He can be our personal Lord and Savior. If you've never accepted him into your life, I just want to ask you, just raise your hand. You can put it back down. Maybe you feel the drawing. You don't know what that is going on right now. Let me explain to you. That's called conviction. It's called the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Don't go void to that. It's only promised so many times. If there's anybody in here, I want to encourage you. Don't leave this place the same. Don't leave this place without making Him your Lord and Savior. It's the, people in here can tell you that's the best thing you will ever do. If there's no one in here, you can look at me. This altar will still be open if you didn't raise your hand. But now I want to talk to some bound people. Some of you have struggled with mental illness for years. And you feel like it's out of control. Some of you 
have let bitterness grip your heart to where you don't even know what to do about it. Some of you have let hatred for the church grip your heart. But I hear the Lord saying, I'm here to take your grave clothes off. Some of you, your hands have been so bound up because you were afraid of what somebody would think, afraid of what somebody would do if you were to raise your hands a little bit different, if your worship was to look a little bit different. I'm telling you, we took a group of, of 40 to Winterfest. The students I saw before and the students I saw after were not the same. I've seen students that wouldn't even come up for worship learn the meaning of worship. That's the problem today is we make worship all about us. When worship becomes about you, it's no longer worship. The team that stands up here week in and week out is not up here for you. Worship is a personal experience. I can't worship for you. I can't pray like you can. I can't release a praise like you can. But let me tell you, when you make, per when you make worship personal to you and you let the grave close off, watch what happens. Watch your breakthrough open up. Watch those miracles begin to happen. And lastly, some of you have been bound by your feet. And you're afraid to, to walk out in what God's calling you to do. Some of you, God, have been dealing with you for a long time to walk out into the uncomfortable. Maybe that's walking out and serving Him like you don't normally do. Taking a leap of faith to a new job that's uncomfortable. Going and talking to one of your coworkers that you wouldn't normally talk to and witnessing to them. God's calling you to be uncomfortable and to be loosed from your grave clothes. I want to ask them to sing the bridge of this song. I love what it says. It says, the enemy thought he had me. But Jesus says, you are mine. The enemy thought he could bind you up and put it this way, shut you up. Sometimes the enemy will put the grave clothes around you, around your mouth. But I come here today to declare and to believe that the grave clothes are falling. The grave clothes are falling. As you begin to come to this altar, come on. The grave clothes are falling.